0: Okay, uh, Shavuot Tov. Today's daf is daf kuvchov aleph. I'm going to go from the Mishnah towards the top of kuvchov aleph, Amud aleph 121a. Um, today's shir is Lilunishmas David Yitzchak Mordechai Ben Yosef. Okay, so the Mishnah starts. We're carrying on with extinguishing fires. And maybe I'll mention, because I mentioned it last time, but I was just listening to another shir last night. And the rabbi said a very similar point. He said, that, uh, he said that all these, the last few missions have been regarding putting out a fire and you're not allowed to and how uh, yesterday's daf was about what you're allowed to save but not put out the fire, etc. And now we're going to discuss can you when you can let a non you put out the fire or a child, etc. But he emphasized, he also emphasized that, you have to remember, most of this is for the lifestyle that they lived in the Gomorrah. Nowadays and this is what I mean 500 years ago already there are more came along and Pascand it doesn't apply anymore it's too dangerous I guess especially them as we mentioned they had a lot of wood in their houses and wooden houses and um, and it's too great uh, uh, the, if they let a fire if if the fire didn't spread and cause uh, injury or harm to life or uh, the the Goyim were looking at any, every opportunity to start a pogrom or something. So they took it as uh, people, he says, people would start looting the houses and therefore the owner would try to stop them and it would cause fights and Sakonis Nefoshos. So there are more already in Shulchan comes along and says that it's Sakonis Nefoshos and you put out a fire. And so the one Rav Oshavas is one of the leading poskim in Israel nowadays. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal Talmud Chacham, and he has an amazing, one of the most amazing things about him. He's a godel amongst, the poisek amongst the Haredim. He's a poisek for the police and the army in Israel. So he's accepted across the board. There are not many great grandmas who are accepted nowadays, sadly, who are accepted across the board. But he is, and he has a tshuva regarding putting out fires. Nowadays, he says, no one loots when a house goes on fire. So there are more excuse, or the more more reason that you can put out a fire is because people start fighting and it causes, like, oh, it doesn't apply anymore, so can you still? And he said he's spoken to quite a few fire departments and the experts on it. And he says, even nowadays, it still turns out that it's... And even though there's not so much wood, so it's not likely to spread to, as likely to spread to other houses and stuff, he says there's always a danger of pikuach nefesh when you have a fire. And he says, therefore, even nowadays, if there's a fire... I mean, especially if you're going to call the fire brigade, that's at worst to Esud to call them. But if you can even do a little bit to put it out beforehand, that would be a... Uh, That would be mutar again, pikoach nefesh, as we know. Um, We're living through a time where we're emphasizing that mitzvah a lot. But it's uh, something that should be in the forefront of our mind. The value of life and how it pushes us out all mitzvahs, including Shabbos. Um, I know there was a story. I don't know the exact details. I'm a little bit hesitant to uh, report it. But uh, my grandfather, Zatzal, had... uh, I think there was a thing of flowers, but it wasn't real flowers. It was artificial flowers caught a light on Shabbos. And because of the type of material, the flames are like very big and very strong. And he rushed it to the, I think one of my uncles, or he rushed it to the sink. And then my grandfather came and turned on the water so that it would go out. But that's this principle. You never know when a fire starts and catches onto one building. You don't know how it will spread and harm the people there. And even if you can get everyone out the house, you don't know how it will harm other people. And then there's also the issue of Ava, the hatred and uh, it could lead to violence from the other nations against the Jews who let fires occur and damage to property etc. So the, in practice just about every time when there is a fire you would be obligated to put it out because of pikuach nefesh. But strictly speaking, remember it is a to put out a fire. Okay, so let's start the Mishnah. It says, chabos Ein If a non Jew comes to put out the fire, are you not allowed to tell him? Put it out. Are you not allowed to motivate him? Push him along to put out the fire. You also don't have to tell him, don't put out the fire. Or you can leave him to put out the fire. Because his keeping Shabbos is not on you. He doesn't have to keep Shabbos and therefore you can just let him do it himself. Um, just on this. So what's the problem with telling a non-Jew to put out a fire? It's not Isur. We, one of the 39 Malachas is not asking a non-Jew to do something. So it's the xayah of Amir al There's a xayah, rabbinic decree that you're not allowed to tell a non-Jew, ask a non-Jew to do something for you on Shabbos. Do a malacha. So he would do this. Now there's an interesting discussion. This might be more relevant to the next Mishnah, but I'll mention it now and maybe I'll mention it again then. Is What's this Isur Amir It's a very famous one. And in South Africa, more so than many other countries, it's very, very common. What, asking a non-Jew to do a malacha for you. So, what's it based on? So, Rashi over here says it's the concept of shlichus, an agent. If someone does something on your behalf, it says if you've done it. And therefore, you're not allowed. To. Now, interesting enough, generally we say, ain't shlichus laakum. There's no concept of shlichus, there's if they do it, it says if you've done it. You ask your friend to give your girlfriend a ring and say that she's married to you, or to marry her on your behalf. That can only be with a Jew, not with a non-Jew. So how come here all of a sudden? So the rabbis went strict with Amira, l- no, Amira l- Akum. You can make a non-Jew a shliach. It is considered your shliach when it is going strict. But again, the simple point of to Rashi over here, the reason is because of Amira lenochri. It's telling a non-Jew to do... It's, it's shlichos. It's making him your agent. And it's as if you put out the fire to a degree. A second, um, the Rambam says... The reason is you'll come to take Shabbos lightly. If everything you can't do on Shabbos, you can just get an jew to do for you. Well, then you end up taking Shabbos lightly because there's nothing you can't do on Shabbos. I guess it's similar to what we've said before, the mitzvah of resting on Shabbos almost, is that you can keep Shabbos with the 39 malachas and not experience the holy special day and the restful day that it's supposed to be. So that's, I think that's similar what the Rambam holds that it's a, You'll come to take Shabbos too lightly. So that's why they made the decree. And then a third reason is. uh, It's a Rashi in another Masechta. And later on in this Masechta I think. And he says. We've actually mentioned that postdoc recently. But you're not allowed to say things. That are forbidden to do on Shabbos. Uh, You're not allowed to talk about things. That you're not allowed to do on Shabbos. That's when you're not allowed to discuss business deals. You're not allowed to discuss things like that. You're not allowed to discuss things. You're not allowed to join Shabbos. Just to think about what would be the difference with these reasons. So the main ramification would be, can you ask a non-Jew on Friday to do something for you on Shabbos? Can you tell, can you come in tomorrow and uh, switch on the lights or switch on the heater or thing? Can you, can you ask him on Aaron Shabbos? So if you hold the reason is you'll come to take Shabbos lightly. Well, then it's a problem, even if you're asking him on Erev Shabbos. If the main reason is like the second, the third, the second Rashi we gave, and that is because it's the issue of saying certain things on Shabbos, well, if you're asking on Erev Shabbos, there wouldn't be a problem. According to our Rashi, that he's a Shliach, it would, be, it would be a problem. Okay, so that's one way, that's one difference is if you ask him on Erev Shabbos to do it on Shabbos. And another ramification is asking him on Shabbos to do it on what say Shabbos? If the problem is in the speech itself, well, then definitely not. If the problem is in Shlichus, that he's acting as your agent, well, if he's only going to do the Malacha on Motzei Shabbos, then it shouldn't be a problem. Okay, so um, that's three reasons given in the Rishonim behind uh, the isur, the Xaira, that you're not allowed to ask a non to do a Malacha for you. Yes, Basil? Now, I would, I would have one of the main reasons is his, your oh, so very good. Rashi points out we're obviously not speaking about an Eved Kanani. Who's your servant? Who's also obligated to you? Obligated to rest on Shabbos, oh. like all the other property. So he's speaking about another, a non-Jew who works for you, or a non-Jew who doesn't work for you, but obviously not a slave. Very good. If it's your slave, then you're obligated to make sure that he keeps Shabbos as well. Similar, I don't want to say similar to, but just like you find your children and your animals, etc., anything that's under your jurisdiction basically has to keep, yeah, you know, has to keep, yeah, you know, can't can't work on Shabbos for you. So, uh, so to an evid, but that's a different din. That's what we would call, Okay, okay. now the Mishra Ketan. Yeah. But if a child comes to put it out, I'm speaking about a young child? You don't listen to him, or you don't allow him to put it out because his rest is your responsibility. Okay, we'll discuss that a little bit more in the Gemara, but you're not allowed to let a child do this malacha of putting out the, the the fire, a Jewish child. Okay, now the Gemara says, Regarding this fire, you are allowed to say, anyone who extinguishes the fire will not lose out. Right? You're not allowed to ask the non-jew to put out the fire, but you can make a general declaration that whoever comes and helps put it out will not lose out. And then they realize, "Ah, oh, you're going to pay them after Shabbos. But you haven't specifically asked them to do Malachah. You haven't specifically told them you'll pay them to do the malocha. So that is fine. Um, just before we go into the Mishnah, there's an interesting discussion. How far do we take this? Can you say whoever puts on the light in my bedroom, or you know, how far? Okay, whoever switches on the urn won't lose out. How far do we take this This heter? Um, and it's fairly limited, just about in such an explicit way that they know what Malachi are asking of them. We're basically limited to a fire. But that's a, another discussion. How far is this hinting allowed to go? Okay. Let's bring a proof from our Mishnah. If an angel comes to put out the fire, we don't say to him, put it out. And we don't say to him, don't put it out. Because you're not obligated to. Um, you're, not, you're not obligated in making sure he rests. He keeps Shabbos. You're not allowed to tell him, put it out. We can deduce from there that you can tell him, whoever puts it out won't lose out. You're just not allowed to ask him directly. So Morris says, no, that's not a good proof. I'm a for What about the second point? You're not allowed to tell him, don't put it out. But, which would imply, sorry, you don't have to tell him, don't put it out. Ah, uh, You can leave him to put it out, but that would imply that you can't, all you're not, you're not allowed to say, don't put it out, but you definitely can't say, whoever puts it out will not lose out. We actually can't work it out from our Mishnah. But the fact our Mishnah is not clear because. If you read the first point, you would deduce the one way that it's Buddha to ask him to say, whoever puts out the fire won't lose out. And he works out, are oh, you going to pay him? So then he goes and puts it out. Um, or that's the first point. But if you read the second point, you're not allowed to tell him, you don't have to tell him, don't put it out, implies that, but you can't tell him, whoever puts it out won't lose out. So from our mission, we can't do it either way. So um, yes, yeah, so we have no proof for Rebbe Ami. Ton Rabon in my seven of the Lake Matheros Yosef bin Sismae B Sikin. It was a fire um a fire called out in the courtyard of Yosef Ben Sismi in Shikin. Uvo Anshe Gistero shall Tipoi Lhavos Mipnish Apitroposhomelehoyo and the the soldiers of the fortress that was in Tipuri nearby came to put it out because he was one of the officials of the king. This Yosef Ben Sima was a government official, maybe the treasurer or something. So they wanted to, they said, we better go help him. He didn't let them put the fire out because of Kavachabas. And a miracle happened and the rain came and put it out. The Arab that evening, he sent to each soldier to saloim, so that they didn't feel that they came for nothing, I guess. And he gave the commander 50 silver shkolim. When the rabbis heard about this incident, they said he actually didn't have to stop them. Because we in our if a non comes to put out a fire, you're not allowed to tell him to put it out and encourage him to put it out. But you also don't have to tell him. Don't put it out. So if the Nodja comes to do it on his own volition, then he's definitely allowed to put it out. As I said, because it's dangerous and stuff. Now you would definitely be allowed to call the fire department to come and put it out. Um, yeah. Interestingly, Tosfos point There's a lot of like details to discuss on this, but just one interesting was point out from here is they say. When you ask the non to put out the fire, that's an isudra And not only that, Melocha Sha'ein you're not asked, you don't want the fire out because you want the charcoal. You want the fire out because it's uh, damaging your property. You just don't want it there. So it's a Melocha Sha'ein HaTricha which is generally only isud We see you're not even allowed to ask a non to do something for you if it's isud D'Rabonim. And that's what we generally say. I don't know if you've heard the phrase, Shvus de shvus, a Dirabon of a Dirabonen, Bemokom mitzvah. When there's another reason like a mitzvah or shvus de Schwus Bemokom Hefset or uh uh when there's a loss. But just one durabonan, I the, just a drabon of a dirabonan, there's not a, sorry, maybe not a hefet, but sorry, a God-all for a great need. That's when it would be allowed. But just for uh, just uh, because it's two durabonons, it's the isur the, rabbanon of asking the non-Jew to do it for you, and the isur rabbanon of him putting out the fire, which is a malachos shein tzrich gufa is wow. not good enough to allow him to put out the fire. Carrying on, then we mention in Mishnah that katan If a child comes to put it out, you're not allowed to let him. We see that if a child's about to eat non-kosher. Based, not obligated to stop him. Obviously, the father has to educate his children in the mitzvah of chiduch. There's a discussion in Yevamos Machloikes, Do you have to stop a child? Does anyone is anyone else obligated to stop a child doing a mitzvah, doing a So from here, by the fact that it says we're not allowed to let this child put out the fire, implies that you do have to stop a child. Doing an avera, which is a question on the opinions who say that you don't have to stop the child. So explains, but no, here are the case is where the fa- where he's doing it for the approval of his father. He looks at his father and he knows his father's favorite uh, favorite gemara, or his uh, favorite, uh, I don't know. Uh, is a fancy phone or whatever's in there and he can see his father will be so happy with him if he goes and puts it out. So that's as good as he's doing it for his father, which is definitely also. As we pointed out in the beginning, you're not allowed to let your animals, your slaves, your children, etc. work do stuff for you on Shabbos. So that's the child's not allowed to do it on Shabbos, but again, this is because he's looking to get the approval of his father and he's doing it for his father. If it's a case where he's not clearly doing the malacha for that, then it would be allowed. For example, the case in Yovamus where they do permit it is... Uh, Hello, Daddy. Hi. Okay. Okay. The case where they do permit it is uh, um, is there. They lo- he lo- the one Rav lost the keys in the Rishush Harabim and they needed to open the shul. So he told children to go play in the park over there or wherever it was so that they would stumble upon the keys and bring it to him. But there, they didn't know that he that he wanted the keys. They didn't know all they knew is they just were going to play there. So there, it would be um, permitted. Um, yeah. So that's the, so that's just the interesting thing with getting a child to do melacha. Um, it would seem uh, it's not okay. Yeah. Now the the israel, yisrael mishari. But wait. We contrasted in the Mishnah, when the non-Jew comes to do the melacha for you, we said it is, you can let him do the melacha. With the child coming to do the melacha, you're not allowed to let him do it. And we've just explained the case, what's the child, where he's doing it because the father wants him to. That's where you're not allowed to let the child do it. Comes along the, gemorrah, comes along the Mishnah, well then it should be the same thing if the non-Jew is putting out the fire because he knows the Jew wants him to do it. That's definitely not allowed. It's as good as it you're asking him to do it. He says, no, 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 when the non-Jew does it, he's doing it for himself. He knows that if he puts out this fire, he will get, get something out of it. He's not doing it because purely for the father. When a child, a young child, when he does, when he knows his father's valuable, special thing is in the house, he will, he'll try save it. He'll try to put out the fire solely for his father. But the non-Jew is always going to do it with this ulterior motive. And therefore, you can let the non-Jew put out the fire. Um, yeah, you know, There's another interesting and important discussion to go into. Is It sounds like it's a getter of shlichos, then it wouldn't matter whose child it is, and who, as long as they're doing it on behalf of the Jew. Or is it connected to the mitzvah of chinuch? Or is it connected to the mitzvah of, like we mentioned, that your your children also have to Rest on Shabbos. I, there's almost, there's less of a problem of a child just eating non-kosher than a child doing something for you on Shabbos. Let's say the child's hungry, so he goes, he finds something non-kosher and he starts eating it. That's less of a problem than if the child does something for you on Shabbos because on Shabbos your child also has to rest. Okay, so that's a bit of a discussion. There's another discussion, what age are we talking about? Are we talking about a child who's under or only if he's? Over the age of Chinuch. If you understand what he's doing or not really. Okay, but I don't want to get caught up in those discussions. Now let's go on to the next Mishnah. Towards the bottom of Kuf Chof Aleph. Amur Aleph. It says, You're allowed to turn a kli over a fire to make sure that over a flame, so that it doesn't go up and burn the beam above it. So, you've got a candle and the flame's burning a bit big, and I might reach up to the raft and catch it alight. So, there you can put a clear. You're not allowed to put it completely over that it puts it out, but you're allowed to put it over to prevent it. The problem there is is, is a question of mutza. So it says, You're allowed to put it over the excrement of a child. We'll discuss the exact scenario in the Gemara. You're allowed to put it clear over a, cor- a scorpion so it doesn't bite. It sounds like, again, um, might be a muktsakli, but also it's a problem of trapping, you know, how to trap a scorpion. So, There was a case with Rabbi Yochanan ben where they asked him, can they put a bowl over the scorpion? Can they trap it or can they kill the scorpion? And he said, I'm actually concerned that it's Isul Ghatas. I al Mishnah has said it's fine to put a bowl over a scorpion, but Rabbi Yochanan Ben Sake actually said it might be a chatos. Okay, let's see the Gemara. Rav Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Yirmiya bar Abba and Rav Chanan bar Rav bar Rav Avin of Nesshika. Rav Yehuda, Rabbi, Rabbi bar Abba, and Rav Chanan bar Rav went to the house of Avin of Nesshika. The Rav Yehuda Rabbi Yirmiya bar Abba, for Rav Yehuda and Rabbi Yirmiyah bar Abba, Eisulai Puraihu. He bought them special. Beds or special chairs to sit on. Rav Hanan Barava. La For whatever reason. Maybe didn't think he was a Tamar Chocham or something. He didn't bring one for Rav So Rav was a bit upset. He came with his two colleagues. And they got special treatment. And he didn't. So he says. Eshkel. So he's looking for an opportunity to. Uh, to teach. Uh, put the. Put Avin in his place. He says, so He found him teaching his child. Al Katan. You're not allowed you're allowed to put a bowl over the excrement of a child because of the child, either child might come and play with it. So you cover it on Shabbos. So Avin Matni livnei. Avin is a fool and he's teaching nonsense to his child. He says, Why? The excrement of a child can be dog food. So so, what's he saying? He's saying that why are you putting the plate over the excrement? Because it's mukta, you can't move it, but you don't want the child to come play with it. He says the excrement of a child is not mukta because it can be used as dog food, and therefore you can actually move the excrement itself. So why would you bother putting a clea over it? Just take it out, just go chuck it outside. So he says, Vikitaima Dalikazilametmo. <laughs> well maybe you'll say no it's muksa because it wasn't ready as dog food from the day before. The child went to the bathroom now on Shabbos. He says no we learned to embrace Naharos, what we basically gonna bring out from the next brace, I'll say it outside before we do it inside is that you're not allowed to have things that have come from outside the trum into the trum. Remember, you're not allowed to go outside your shabbos zone two thousand amos. If something comes into your trum, you're not allowed it. However, if you want to go get water from the river to drink, that's within your trum. Even though that water flowed from far out the trum, since it was definitely going to be there on shabbos, it was going to be there on shabbos when you went to the river to drink it. It's considered as if it's in the trum, as if it was ready from before shabbos. It seems almost if like the natural a, the natural order of events will definitely bring it into the Thum, then it's not considered, not prepared. So so too, we're going to say the natural order of event is for a child to go in the bathroom on Shabbos. And therefore his excrement was definitely going to be there, and therefore it's not muktzah. One second, let's just read this inside. Vela. So he says so he says maybe you'll say it wasn't ready from the day before we learnt in a browser. rivers that flow flowing rivers and uh, gushing springs they are like the feet of the people Aye, when the person arrives at the river they like they've been there the whole day as, as they on. So so to hear about the child's excrement, it's like it's been there from before Shabbat since it was definitely going to be there. Okay. Um yeah, so that's it. The question is the that can't be shut in the Mishnah. The Mishnah can't be that you place a ball over the tsa of a katan so that the katan doesn't play with it. Because tswah's katan is not mukta. you can just take it out. Yes, Basil? Oh, excellent! So the Rishonim asked that. The Rishonim asked that. This one of the main sorts. This this would be the issue of this Muktzah would be Noilad, something that's born, something that's newly created, newly created on Shabbos. The classical example of Noilad is uh, is an egg, and the egg's definitely going to be there on Shabbos anyway. So very good. The Rishonim asked that. I think the the one answer given is that the excrement I didn't understand the answer fully Need I need to look into it a bit more but the one answer given was along the lines I don't know if I should even say it but I'll just mention it. it's along the lines of the excrement is definitely going to be there and it's never been a part of the child whereas the egg is viewed as part of the chicken even though it was in the chicken and definitely going to be there on Shabbos day or Yom Tov day it's never it was part of the chicken so it really is noilat brand new Whereas the saw in the Katan is not as intrinsic to him. It's not as connected to him. Okay, something, something along those lines. But that's but, a good question. But the water is. Oh, the water is definitely in existence the whole time. Yeah. But maybe the problem is that it came out of, from out of the Trum to into the Trum. That's Moksa. Mm. You're not allowed to have benefit from something that came out of the Trum. Um, not a lot of something that came out of the Trum into the Trum. Um, yeah, so, so but since since I think that's natural order of events, it, or in the usual thing, it will reach into the Trum on Shabbos, you can view it as if it was there already from before Shabbat so, so to the tzoha of the katan okay so he's also so how do you understand the Mishnah the Mishnah says you're allowed who makes a special sensation to put a bowl over this excrement but it's not referring to the excrement of a katan so he says so how do you learn the Mishnah he says al katan. you're allowed to put it over the of chickens because of a child and we're not talking about the tzwa of a child, we're talking about the tzwa of a chicken, which is mukzah because that's not fit for, for any, for dogs to eat or anyone. So he says, and why do you want to put the plate over? Him, they cut them so that the child doesn't play with it. He says, oh, the table plate I have a graf ready. Well, it should still be mutar to take out like a graf ready. Like what's it, a chamber pot? If there's a chamber pot in the room and everyone's going to be disgusted by it, you even, it's called mukzah machmaz it's, it's muxa because it's repulsive, but you're allowed to take it out of that room. You're allowed to take it away from where people will be repulsed and offenced, uh, offended by it. So the chicken's excrement, you should be allowed to take it out of the room because it's graf um, It's repulsive. Maybe not. Maybe the excrement in the chamber part, you're only allowed to move because you're moving it through the clee. It's, oh, it's indirectly, it says, but not the actual experiment. It says, They found a, a mouse amongst the spices of Ravashi. Grab it by the tail and chuck it out. A mouse is repulsive. And he didn't say, pick it up in something to take it out. He says, hold it directly and tuck it out. So we see that that if something is repulsive, you're allowed to move it away directly. So, so too, why can't you move this? So of the chicken outside of the room. Why do you need to put a bowl on it? He says, no, but ashba, the case must be we're talking about an ashba. Aye? The chicken's dung, the Tsua of the taranagal was found in the ashbah in the rubbish heap. And therefore, there's no, you're not allowed to move it. Where are you going to move it to? That, it is mukta. Because it's not, I mean, it's not nice, but it's not repulsive in the rubbish sheep. That's where it is. He says, Why would the child be playing in the rubbish sheep? And ashba implies the communal dump. You'd never let the child go there. He says, B-g-a-t-se-r. No, we're talking about that. Courtyard. This tzah was found in the courtyard. So. Well, if it's in the courtyard, then it's repulsive to people and you should be allowed to take it and throw it away. You shouldn't need to go, like the Mishnah says, and put a bowl in it. it says, no, so we're talking about the rabbi sheep in the courtyard. The child obviously is going to run and try to play there, and therefore, if there's tzah of a and you don't want him to play with it, you can cover it with the bowl. Even though generally that would be mukta, here you're allowed to do it. Okay. So that's uh that's the line of you're allowed to cover the tsa of a katan. The pshat is not the tsa of a katan, it's the tsa of a tarnagal because of the child so that um um the tzoh, so, so that the child doesn't play with it. Yeah. you're allowed to cover a scorpion with a bowl so that it doesn't bite anyone. Now we're gonna go into a whole discussion regarding what animals are you allowed to kill or trap on Shabbos, etc.? So in All rash friends all danger, all what's it dangerous animals that can kill. You can kill on Shabbos. So any animal that we're not talking about, like it's not talking about like. Um, Animals that just harm or bother people. We're talking about animals that can kill. You're allowed to kill them on Shabbos. Moshev, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yosef, challenged us. Hamish and Eregen be Shabbos. You're only allowed to kill the following five animals on Shabbos. Zvuv Sheb Mitzrayim. This fly or bee of Eretz Mitzrayim. Some very dangerous one. B'tzira Sheb Ninveh. This wasp or something of Ninveh. Ba'akrav Sheb Chadyav. A scorpion that are found in Chadyav. And and the sort of snake that's found in Eretz Israel, The Keliph Shote B'Kol and a dog with rabies, a foolish dog, in any place. Money, now who's the author? Maybe you'll say it's Reb Yehuda. Reb Yehuda holds that if you do a Malachashe and Shrechelagufa, it's still Asur so D'Araisa. Reb Yehuda would never allow you to just go along and kill a dangerous animal. Again, remember we've got this famous Machloites Rebu'ud in Rebu's we've seen it a few times. When you're doing a Melochah not for the same reason as in the Mishnah, or just not because you want the result of the Melochah, but just because you don't want to, to be in the current situation you're in, depends where you learn, like Rashi or Tosos, Huda holds you're still not allowed to do the Melochah. So even though you don't want the scorpion in the house, or the snake in the garden, you're still not allowed to do the malacha of trapping. According to Rabbi Shimon, it's a malacha shayn shirchan aguf, only a isud Since it's not the same malacha as done in the Mishkan, it's not for the same reason or it's not for a positive mode of intention. By positive, I mean you want the outcome of the malacha. Um, it's more just to remove yourself from the scenario. That's how Rashi learned. Um, that would be a contribution would be found. So you can't this that he said this that Rabbi Ose brought you're allowed to kill these five animals can't be according to Rabbi Yehuda. Granted your motivation is not to kill them because you want them your motivation is to kill them too so that they don't harm anyone that would still be an Isudah according to Rabbi Yehuda. so that can't be. So ella, she Yeah, ella Rabbi Shimon, it must be Rebbe Shimon. Vahanihu do and it must be only these that are permitted and no others. Are you only like Reb Yosef? Rabbi Yushubin, came along and said, any dangerous, any what's it, fatally dangerous animal, any lethally dangerous animal, you can kill. And Reb Yosef brought a brisa that must be Rebbe Shimon. Reb Yosef brought a brisa which says you're only allowed to kill five. So he says, Who says that this price is reliable? Maybe it is mistaken. I remember they used to have, Amorim had all different collections of prices. We have the t- primary one, the Mishnah. And that's definitely reliable. But there were all other, at the time when Rebbe came to write down the Mishnah, he made it a collection from all what we'd call prices, other Tanai teachings. Now, any Tanai teaching, this is a bit of history, that's, so obviously Rebis, Mishnas are very reliable. There's another set of tos, what we call the Tosefta. That's Rebihche and Rebih Oishya's Brisa, actually printed in the back of Mosque Moras. Those are almost additional information to the Mishnah. Those are known to be reliable. But any other Brisa could have been mistaken. Remember, it was all transmitted orally. Never mind we find mistakes when it's transmitted uh, with text, but these are translated. So sometimes it would have a mistaken explanation built in, or sometimes it would just, uh, the one who taught the price had taught it wrong, and it's built in. So maybe this that it says that you're only allowed to kill, that Rabbi Yosef says you can kill anyone, or sorry, this that Rabbi Yosef says you're only allowed to kill five, maybe that's a mistake. Maybe it was just giving examples or something. Who says that it's reliable? Well, Rabbi Yosef says, I was the one who taught it, therefore I know it's reliable. And I was the one who asked the question on it, and I'll explain it to you. When Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says, any dangerous animal you're allowed to kill, that's when it's running after you. Ah, When there's a dangerous animal running after you, no matter whether it's one of these five or any animal that could kill, you can kill it. Okay. So in general, you wouldn't be allowed to, let's say, walk around the Kruger and, uh, I don't know, kill elephants and buffalo and these things on the, on the Shabbos. But if an elephant starts to chase you, you can kill it on Shabbos. And that everyone would agree, even Rabbi Huda, because that's the pikoach nefesh, that's saving a life, which pushes aside Shabbos. Now the Gomorrah is going to just mention a few other points regarding this. The rova bar Rav Someone mentioned a Brysa before Rav Baravuna. If someone kills scorpions and snakes on Shabbos, the Hasidim are not happy with him. Either pious people are not happy because it's Shabbos and you shouldn't really be killing animals. It's Issue uh, Doris. It says, Well, those overly pious people, the Hasidim are not happy with them. Why? Because. Um, because they're dangerous and you should kill them so that they don't go harm anyone. He says, And he seems to Ravuna. on Rav Huna. I think just an important line from that. So what's his, his explanation? He says, The chassidim, the pious people, don't want you to kill animals on Shabbos. And Ravuna comes along and says, Well, the chachomim aren't happy with the, with the pious people. It takes great wisdom to be, uh, to be pious. Because you've got to weigh up. You're weighing up values here. On the one hand, you have what's theoretically and could be an Isidore right? so of killing an animal on Shabbos. On the other hand, we have what is pikuach nefesh. You leave that uh, what that cobra crawling around the house or crawling around the garden. Someone's going to run into the garden and it's going to attack that person. So you have a way up to two principles. Yeah, ena ma'aret chosif you're bur Exactly. So I think that's what he's saying. The chachamim, you're missing the point. You wait. You got your priorities wrong you you trying to be pious by going extra strict with Shabbos, but you're ending up going lenient with uh, B'kwach Nefesh, which is actually more important. So that's Rabba Baravuna. He argues on Ravuna, his father. Ravuna saw this one person who was killing a Fly or some sort of hornet or wasp, and Omalay says, "What you're going to manage to kill all of them? You're not supposed to be killing fly these uh, dangerous animals on Shabbos." So you see, his father held that unless they were actually going to kill someone, you're not allowed to kill them. Okay, Tonura Bonan, the Rabbis taught, "If he chanced upon snakes and scorpions." if he managed to kill them, we, it can be known that he was meant to kill them. If he doesn't kill them, they were going to kill him. And they made a miracle from heavens. And what's it? it's a beautiful idea this? So if someone's walking along and there's a dangerous snake or scorpion and he kills it, it must be Hashem wanted him to have the merit of protecting people from it. He did something right in the past and he earned the merit of protecting people. However, if the animal does, he doesn't kill the animal, well, he should know that it was probably going to kill him. And for whatever reason, Hashem said, don't, uh, didn't allow it to kill him. And uh, and that's what he must be aware of. I think this is... um, this, I think what the message of this is, is when you're in a dangerous situation and you're saved, don't just go, oh, that was lucky, that, that uh, cobra didn't notice me, or something like that. You might say, oh, Hashem's trying to tell me something. What is He trying to tell? Be grateful, to, at least be grateful to Hashem, if not examine your deeds and think why you kind of deserve to be attacked by a snake or something like that. Um, and that's, I think, an approach in general to a dangerous situation. Omar Ula Omar But Ullah said, and some say it was rather by Rav Khanna, this that you view it as a miracle that you are saved from it is only where it rubs up against you. Or Rashi seems to say it like hisses at you. It's like the, the cobra picks up its head and puts a, a fla- a flattens its face in that aggressive manner. That's when it's, you view it as a miracle. But if if a snake just slithers across the road in fr- a few meters away from you, it's not a miracle that you weren't bitten. But if it's slivered right up against your leg, then it's a miracle. Okay, Omar Rav Kahana, Omar, sorry, Omar Rabbi Ababar Kahana, Pam Achas Nofel Echod B'Mes HaMidrash, one time some a snake fell into the shul, and someone from Novos, a Jew from Novos, one of the students, killed it. Omar Rabbi Pogapoka Yotsepo, oh, the snake met someone like it. Was Rebbe complimenting him or was he um, rebuking him? I, the snake fell into the middle of the shul and this person stood up and killed it. And Rebbe said, oh, the snake met someone like it. Was Rebbe saying a positive thing? Aye, the snake wanted to kill us, so lucky we had this guy who came and killed it. Oh, well, well done, thank you. Or was he saying, you acted like a snake, you should not have killed that snake on Shabbos. So, um, Toshma, maybe we can work out from the following. The Rebbe Abba, Braid Rebbe Ghia Bar Abba for Rebbe Zehra. Have you asked the Iqla Debe Rebbe Anah? Aqila Debe Rebbe Anah? Rebbe Ghia, Abba, Braid Rebbe Ghia Bar Abba and Rebbe Zehra were sitting on the porch of Rebbe Anah, not like milsa b'nei, when they were discussing this, bow me name Rebbe Anah. So they asked Rebbe Anah, ma'u la harug na khashim wa akrabim What's that lochah regarding killing snakes and scorpions on shabbos? So, om aloot, si irani I would even kill a wasp. Or as hornet, some sort of dangerous abhi. Nachash for Kol would definitely kill a scorpion. Sounds from this that you can go ahead and Rebbe would have... I guess Rebbe was on Rebbe's based in, so maybe they had the same shitta. Um, but so Rebbe Yana would say you could kill it. And Rebbe was complimenting the student. He says, no, le maybe they were, he was only saying it le in innocence. What he's saying is if you're walking along and there's a snake, you're generally not allowed to go out your way and kill it. But if you just carry on walking and you happen to stand on it, like you can see, you don't have to walk around the snake. If you're walking and it's in your way, you can stand on it in a way that that it might kill it. And that's what he was saying, right? Lafitum, I in the in innocence, in your normal way of going. It says If they spit on the ground, you're allowed to stand on the fituma. Again, you generally would not be allowed to rub spit into the ground because you might be flattening the ground, which is isud. But if they spit there and that's repulsive and yak to people, so you can stand on it. The rabbis waive their dispensation of you're not allowed to do something that's anumiscavan, and you can stand on it because it's repulsive. Again, you're not allowed to go out of your way to mush the saliva into the ground. But if you're walking, you can stand on it and carry on. And Rashi would say, and same thing by the animal. Um, well, let's see. nachash dor said, you can stand on a snake or scorpion. I, in the natch, in your normal walking, you can stand on it and hope it does Again, Generally, would be Osur but it's only Osur rabbonin, and they wave their isud rabbonin when they're these dangerous animals. But maybe so when Rabbi permitted them to kill these animals, maybe it wasn't saying so you can go outright and kill it. Like this person did when the snake dropped into the shul, conquer it and kill it. But you can kill it Now we're just going to mention a few other teachings. Abba Barmartah D'havei um, connected to these. Abba Barmartah Dahave Abba Bar Minyumi. Abba ba Marta, who is also known as Abba Bar Minyumi, havei Maskei Beit of Reish he owed the Reish Kolusa. The they call it the exilarch. He was the political head of Babylonian Jewry. Sometimes they were Tamidei Chachomim, sometimes they weren't, sometimes they were better, sometimes they were worse. But he was the the head, the, I don't know what the word is, more powerful, but the chief rabbi of the, not the, well, I guess the chief, uh, he was the head, the political head, the king of, in a way, of Babylonian Jewry. I mean, obviously, different ones at different generation, but that's a Reish Galusa. So he owed him money. Aesu Komitzare, and they brought him into their, to his home and they were tormenting him and this was all on Shab- and then on Shabbos there was some spit on the ground and they found it disgusting so why don't you bring a clean and turn it over it so So he told them you don't have to bring a clay and turn it over Rabbi Yehuda said if there's spit on the ground you can't go and rub it into the ground but walk over it normally and that would be fine so Shaku. So he told his uh, servants who were beating up uh, this rabba. Says, oh, he's a rabbi, Leave him alone. We thought he was a scoundrel who owed us money. That's why we were tormenting him. But now that you know he's a rabbi, leave him alone. Omar Bi Abba Kahana, Bi Now it seems we, we mentioned these other things from a Rabbi. So he's just going to mention a few other things of Rabbi Abba Kahana, Rabbi Bi Pumutas shall base Rabbi Mutelatatlam B'Shabbes. Are you allowed to move the candlesticks of Rebbe's house? Italian Is he saying only small candlesticks that you can move with one hand or large candlesticks that require two hands? Harashi explains this. Obviously, we're not speaking about candlesticks that are allowed. We've already learned those, you know, allowed to move on Shabbos. but ones that weren't allowed. The small ones are easily movable, so that you would be allowed to move. But large ones were covey were fixed into the were not were kabat, were generally you would leave them in their place. They were too big to just move around. So maybe that kavios makes them mutza. So he says, omalei ko shall base like the small ones in your father's house. The big ones would be considered kavua and and you wouldn't be allowed to move them. The sedan chairs, like uh, those are wagons that you transport people, that people carry to transport other people on. Are those mutza or not? So it's Omarabi Zayre, Rebbe Nitlin B'Oramechor, B'Shnei B'Nei Oram. We're talking about the ones that are carried by one person, or the ones that are carried by two people. So Omalek Ossin shall base a like the ones of your father's house, either small ones. For Omarabi Abakar Kahane, Hitil, or Hem Rebbe Chanina, Rabbi, Rebbe, Chanina permitted the household of Rebbe, Lishtos Yayin Bechrona shall not to drink wine that was brought in by the. Uh, wagons of these non-Jews, even if they had only one seal. We know Yayin, regular wine, if a non-Jew handles it, or drinks or pours from it, you're not allowed to have it. So it's called Yayinesechostam yainam. Now, if they're transporting wine from you, for you, you always have the concern that they've taken some of the wine, and you're not allowed to have it. So there's, um, So you have to seal it. But now generally the Rabonan holds you need a double seal, and Lezer holds you only need a single seal. It's a for Zoro what sort of seals you need and how they work. But Rebbe Chanina allowed the house of Rebbe to have one if it had even only if it was transported with even only one seal on it. it says Beloyadane <speaking> imishum <in> the Rebi, Eliezer Imishum. A must and I'm not sure. Is it because he passes like Rabbi that for yeah, you only need one seal to make sure that it hasn't been tampered with, or whether it's because of the fear of the base, the house of the Nasi, that the non-Jew is not going to be tamper on it, t- uh, tamper with it. Ah, what about a regular person? Can you have your wine delivered with one seal? So if you pass like Rabbi Eliezer, then you can. If it's because the non-Jew is going to be extra afraid of the house of the Rebbe, and that's why Rebbe Hanina, because Rebbe was like, a, um, in, the, in those times, Rebbe had a lot of power. He was a, like a government official, so no one would mess with him. So maybe that's why his wine was permitted, and uh, therefore, maybe, the, and therefore, but regular people would need a double seal or something like that. Okay, and we'll leave it there for today.